Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast. Thank you for joining us today for this very special episode, which is made possible by the National Lottery. Now, I was super excited to do this one because this is basically all about the National Lottery's gig offer and how they're supporting grassroots venues. And a lot of you will know I've been part of live music in many different levels of of venues. So, um, yeah. It's a cause that's close to my heart. And then when I got the brief on who I was going to get to talk to about this, I was buzzing because today I'm joined by Sam Dabb, who's been holding things down at Newport Venue Le Pub for over 25 years. Uh, and she knows her stuff when it comes to grassroots me- music venues. She's seen it all in her tenor at this prized venue. And, li- and likewise, she knows the real struggle of keeping these small businesses alive. Her story begins in the Midlands, but she found herself in Newport at the age of th- 13 and then f- fast forward t- to the 90s and she was signed to a label river band Disco and even had a record deal and dropped a few records. But her journey with Le Pub started as a teenager where she started as a 17-year-old wannabe punter and we talk about that. And all these years later, she finds herself as the manager knocking on the door of a 25-year tenure, um, which is mad. And... Yeah, there's so much that we got to talk about. I think you're going to really enjoy it as much as I did. I really enjoyed hearing about Le Pub and just how it's run, like how it's how community is so important, how grassroots, how um, accessibility is important to all classes, to all all people. I went and had a, had a bit of a look at on Sam's page, and um, our views align greatly on many a thing. So um, it was great to to chat with Sam. So sit back and enjoy as we discuss Sam's story, the glory of live music, the importance of grassroots music venues, and the United by Music tour where national lottery players can attend a whole litany of two-for-one gigs across the country where you can bring a plus one for free from now until September. You're going to love this. Yeah, let's get into it. Right, I'm joined today by Sam Dab of Le Pub. How are you, Sam? How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Really good. I'm excited to chat because there's a lot of of crossed kind of experiences and passions. But as soon as you logged on, I was excited to see you in kind of a mini makeshift studio type thing. Where are you today? I'm in the basement of the venue. So during the pandemic, um, when we took the venue over, we had six weeks to turn a derelict building into a safe space for people to enter. So we kind of locked the door on a massive room downstairs that used to be a commercial kitchen and just pretended it didn't exist. (laughs) And then um, during the pandemic, we decided to turn it into a recording studio. I love it. And that's a kind of a a community thing, right? Yeah, it's, um, so it's free to use. There is a donation box on the wall because obviously we do need to buy cables and mics and things every now and again and it's nice mm-hmm. to have those paid for. But if you can't afford to practice, I'd still rather you came and practiced. So it's, it's yeah, it's working really well at the moment. There's always slightly more in the donation box than we expected. I love stuff like that. I think it's so important. I, I had a Zoom call earlier this week with a friend of mine who's trying to set, set up a community like podcast studio in Glasgow. Because again, I think there's all these things that 
are only just out of reach of working class people now. Yep. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like so much recording yep. equipment and that can be really good at quite a low cost, but it's just out of reach or the yeah. ability to use the technology is just out of reach and podcasts, music, r- recording and practicing, as, as you say, all should be for everyone. It shouldn't just yep. be for those who've got the money to go and set up in a fancy studio. Well, a friend of mine actually runs the um, the Spy Cops podcast. Yeah. And he records here. Yeah. And that is, you know, it's recording, it's reporting on a public inquiry yeah. that everybody yeah. should be aware of. And I'm really, it's really like, sounds a silly word, but it's an honour to be able to help him put that podcast out there and, yeah. you know, bring that information into the public domain rather than it being stuck away in a stuffy court. I love it. And it, it, it looks like it's got a vibe as well. And I think practice studios in particular, like, have to have a a vibe like the one of the guys who ended up touring the world with me in, in my live band the reason he ended up in my live band was I was a fan of his band his band were a local band and they used to practice up the road for me so if they were practicing on a Friday night I'd, I'd get some beers and I'd just go and sit in the studio and enjoy a free gig yeah. every night kind of thing and we ended up yeah. collaborating and, and putting things together and yeah I love that I love that but we're going to talk a lot about live music and v- venues and all of this like all of the support that you guys have got from the National Lottery. We're going to talk about the United by Music Tour. But let's kind of start off with you telling us a little bit about your music venue, La Pub in Newport. It's been a long journey, right? It's been part of your life for a lot of your life as such. <laughs> yeah, um, I would say the entirety of my adult life. Had my 18th birthday party there. Two years later, Beautiful. started working there. Three years later, became the assistant manager. Five yeah. years after that, became the manager. Oh God, it's quite a complicated story. Five years after that, um, I bought the lease from the landlady of the building. And then five years after that, the landlady was selling the building and we actually launched a community share offer to move to a much, much bigger premises, which means that we can now build a recording studio and do everything else that we're doing. Yeah, I love it. And you must have so many... Well, uh, again, I'm going to put you on the the spot because I love the like I'm really glad that I have the life experience of being on both sides of the live music industry kind of thing on being an excited teen you know I'm gonna say over 18 but being an excited teen in venues I maybe shouldn't have been in and being an excited grown up on stages I maybe didn't deserve to be on but somehow found myself on so uh, can you share a few memories of both sides of that, of those early days of 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 going into the pub, or I said of gigs you've put on, of of just real shows that have felt like moments for you. I mean, I grew up in Newport in the nineties, and it was part of that whole new Seattle movement where you had, you know, you had the sixty foot dolls, you had the super fairy animals coming through Newport a lot, Catatonia. You had yeah. journalists from the New York Times just rocking up in Newport because apparently they were expecting the next Seattle scene and all of this. Yeah. So there's some amazing moments back then just seeing like, you know, I shouldn't say this, but I wasn't working there, so it's not my fault. 100, 150 people crammed into a 100-capacity venue yeah. just to see the 60-foot dolls play with the guy that was running the place at the time pulling his hair out like, ah, I can't stop them coming in. And, you know, just some really crazy punk rock moments within that scene. And these moments are all before your professional involvement and the National Lottery's professional involvement. So there's no Absolutely. there's no shade here. But I love those things. I love those venues yeah. and those gigs that are just, it's too Crazy. much. Oh, one of my f- favourite g- gigs we ever did, we were playing 
one of the big dance festivals up north and the main stage got rained off and we ended up playing a gig in the MySpace bus, which ages me a little there. And during, this is one of my favourite sentences to say, during our second encore, the bus ended up catching on fire and having to be evacuated because there were so many people in it and it was just overheating and couldn't handle it. Yeah. But it felt like the most, like everyone was safe, everyone was okay, but it felt like the most punk rock moment ever. And yeah. you've got all these gigs with tens of thousands of people, but it was this gig with like a hundred people in a double-decker bus that's They're the one that the stands out. the special gigs. The, the yeah. small gigs for me, I think that's, I mean, I got off at a job a few years ago moving up to much bigger venue size and I don't want to. I love a hundred capacity venues. Mm-hmm. And when we moved, there was talk of making our venue like a lot bigger. And I don't want to do that either. I just want to run the best possible hundred cap venue that I can. You know, yeah. I don't I don't want to run a thousand cap venue. I think I think the most special moments in music happen right at the beginning of a band's career yeah. and yeah. you know, in a small room full of people that really, really care. Yeah, and no one can believe it. Like the people no. on stage can't believe it and yep. the crowd can't believe it. Again, I've got that experience as well, because we blew up off of a single that was just put on MySpace and I was living in my bedroom at my mum's house still. When we started to have those 100, 150 cap venue gigs where there'd be queues to get in. We were like, what is life? Like, this is yep. insane. So there is that energy from everyone in the room and it's yep. exciting. And it's also worth noting that obviously we've talked about those gigs that can be a little bit out of hand and those small gr- grotty venues or whatever. But things like funding from the National Lottery are important because we, in recent years, we've had to make all of those venues like accessible. Because for, yep. for a long time, those punk gigs that I used to love were up a load of stairs or whatever. And that's yep. excluding a whole area of of, of society. So yep. I think it's really important to keep that vibe and that energy, but be a grown-up about it and go, no, we want this venue to be safe, accessible, everyone to feel comfortable yep. here. That's one of the main things we looked for in a new venue was accessibility because the old venue was up a flight of stairs. Yeah. And this venue is, you know, it's all ground floor. There's an accessible toilet. It's, you know, everything. And that was one of the most important things to us when we moved six years ago, because it is heartbreaking to either have to turn someone away or watch them struggle just to access what you take for granted every single day. Yeah, it, it sounds almost, it's such a cliche question to ask, how is it being a woman in a male-dominated industry? But I've spoken to... Self-esteem about being a woman in the music industry and some of the horrific things that she's faced. And I've got got mates who who have run pubs. All of them have stopped now. Who you know, it's been tough as a woman in 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 that industry. So I promise I'm not asking it in a, a cliche way. I'm asking from genuine experience of friends. How have you found all of that of of fighting your way through? I guess it's getting better. We got taken to um, Queen's Tennis by a well-known beer company. And when we got off the bus, they took my husband to the bar with the men and sent me to watch tennis with the wives. But I was quite happy because I don't want to sit in a bar full of men discussing whatever it is public and men discuss. I'd much rather be watching the tennis. So I didn't kick up too much of a fuss that day. But then at the end of the day, our, our rep from the company was like, oh, where have you been all day, Sam? And I was like, I was sent off with the wives, mate. And they were so apologetic. But yeah. it's too late by then. I've already missed out on those networking opportunities. I've already, you know, it's um, yeah. it's, it's difficult to navigate because like I said, one part of me doesn't want to sit with a load of men who run pubs. Yeah. That's, you know, they're, they're generally 
They want to talk about things I don't want to talk about. My instant but, thought was I'd be asking to go with the wives and yeah. watch the tennis. <laughs> like, yeah, it was this, great. This is rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. I got to see Tim Henman play. Uh, you know, Cliff Richard was there. Jason Donovan was there. It was a great day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had yeah. the best time. Well, obviously, r- 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 running, you spoke about being adamant on running small venues and having that excitement and feel. With small venues, the margin is can be so much tighter. So how was it when the pandemic hit? Because again, that's a real a real struggle that we saw a lot, all of the arts, but particularly the live mu- music venues. And again, the live music industry. So I'm talking about sound men and, yeah. and techies and everyone else involved in that industry. It was a real struggle. I run a venue and my husband is our sound engineer. So we instantly yeah. went to zero income ourselves. We've got 16 yeah. staff. I mean, grassroots music venues don't make up, make enough money to have reserves. We could pay the wages for the next two weeks. And then it was, we don't know what we're going to do. And I think the email that I sent the staff, letting them know that at that current point in time, I did not know what was going to happen in a fortnight. Mm. I I must have spent two hours writing that and it was only a couple of sentences. And I just, I knew I had to send it because they had the right to know where they were at, you know, transparency. And then I think the email I sent about, five or six days later telling them it's good we've got this furloughs coming that word that no one even knew what it was and then all of a sudden everyone knows what furlough is yeah, that was one of yeah. the strangest things is these whole during the pandemic so many new words appeared that none of us ever <laughs> understood before yeah yeah that was one of my favorite emails i've ever sent being able to say it's fine the money we've got in the bank can top up the 80 percent for at That's least amazing. six weeks yeah and then i think we're in a very different position in wales because the welsh government were incredible Within Mm. three weeks of the pandemic hitting, we had funding for the next three months' costs, rent, electric, everything, you know. And then um, throughout the pandemic, the support they gave venues was absolutely amazing. So there has to be a shout out there for the Welsh Government in the way that funding was so much more accessible. I didn't have to write paragraphs and paragraphs on why I deserved it. I just had to write, you know, this is what we do. And, you know, the money was there. And I think watching some of the English venues struggle with the way that that funding was administrated, that must have been terrifying because, you know, mm. there was no guarantee they were even going to get any funding. And I know a number of venues in England were very close to folding and a few did, which is heartbreaking. Yeah. So back then, the National Lottery ran the Revive Live campaign, as it was called then. And I know that funding for that put a lot of venues back on a strong footing because being able to have gigs where none of the costs were theirs and they just got the bar and they just got to get the punters back out and get get people that taste for live music again. That was incredible. So I think the Revive yeah. Live, the two rounds of Revive Live went a very long way to helping grassroots music venues get back on their feet. And 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 how was that then when things did kind of open up again? Because we were discussing prior to, to starting recording that obviously, as you said, many venues were, were lost because of the pandemic, loads of stuff like that. But I think for those that did manage to survive and could get the support that was was needed... I know a lot of my local mates who run venues and that said it was like they'd never seen when they opened up again because people had a new hunger hunger for this and realised yeah. what they they had taken yeah. for granted and really appreciated it. And and we were discussing how a lot of people, particularly with grassroots venues and local bands and local music or whatever, love moaning about it. Yeah. I, I love moaning about the sticky carpet or the air conditioning or whatever else. And the pandemic kind of made a lot of people go, oh man, 
this is really something special and I miss that just yeah. being in a crowd with people and experiencing live music. So how was that when you got to to get things going again and how's it been? I'm not going to lie. It was a little bit scary because mm. obviously after two years of either being closed or seated service, yeah. I spent three days running around the venue just making sure I was ready to have because our bar holds 100 as well. So, you know, I had to be make sure the venue was safe to hold 200 people again. You know, I'm yeah, checking all yeah. the hinges on all the fire doors and running around. Yeah, and it, it was absolutely terrifying. But then I think within 15 minutes of opening the doors, it was like I hadn't just had two years off straight yeah. back behind the bar. Because, I mean, we hadn't had anyone walk up to the bar in two years either because there yeah. was different regulations in Wales. So even when we were open, it was 100% table service. Yeah. So the first person that came to the bar to order, it's 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 not that funny, but um, they walked in with a group of six. And for some reason I went, we're not open yet, but we were. And then I yeah. stood back and I was like, okay, now we're open. And just the panic, just this, ah, yeah. there's a man stood at the bar and I don't know what to do. Because it's it mad. had been so long of orders coming through a till that were printed that I'd then make and then walk over to the table. And yeah, it yeah. was, um, I don't know where it came from. I just went, oh, we're not open yet. <laughs> and then I had to be like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know why I said that. What would you like? But then, yeah, within 10, 15 minutes, it was bang, straight back into it, running around, changing barrels, cleaning up spillages. It was, uh, yeah, it's um, it was an experience. I think one thing that I realized about a week into reopening was that on a general week pre-pandemic, you'd get two or three people that had turned 18 mm -hmm. and didn't really know how to behave in a pub or how to drink. Mm -hmm. But the problem with the pandemic was for the first month of reopening, you had two years worth of people that had never been in a pub. You know, yeah. they're 20, but they've yeah. never been in a pub. They'd never really been out drinking with their friends. They'd only ever done like, you know, small garden drinks with family and things. So there was there was a lot of young people getting sick, overindulging. Yeah. And yeah, it yeah. was, um, yeah, rather than having two or three and, you know, to keep your eye on them, the whole pub is full of people that have never been in a pub before. And it was absolutely crazy. Yeah, that's normally nicely filtered out along... Yeah, uh, you know, twelve months of eighteenth birthdays. Whereas now you've yep. got, as I said, two years at least of eighteenth birthdays, all in one, yep. all in one. Here, I love, I, I love hearing how well it clicked in, though, because again, I think it is always that pre moment that's scary. Because particularly yep. if it's something you've done for so long as well, you know, there's so much that you did on autopilot, like yep. you did a second nature. And now you've not been doing it for a while. Are you going to forget any of those bits? Is there going yep. to be anything that you didn't do? L like remembering to tell the person that walks up to the bar that you are open. You know, <laughs> yeah. Easy to forget. Easy to yeah. forget. So all of those things. But then, yeah, it's such a relief when you do get going and you're like, oh no, I know what I'm doing. This yep. is this is where yep. I'm, this is what this I've is, missed as well. And This and, is what and, I do. And did you find that? Did you find the excitement to get back to be in you, to be in the landlady, yeah. to be running the pub, because you hadn't got to be that, I guess, for two years. We did um, we did an outdoor gig when, um, when we were allowed, and I didn't think I'd be that emotional because it was during the pandemic when it was, you know, restrictions around outdoor gigs, and there was so much paperwork and so much stress and so much regulations that I didn't realise how much I'd missed live music until the artist just struck the first note on the guitar and I had yeah. to put down the tray of drinks I was carrying and just stand there and I did a little cry. And yeah. I genuinely, I, I think a lot of us kind of pushed down how much we missed the things we loved. And then when yeah. they came back, it kind of all came bubbling out in huge emotional outbursts. Yeah. Because yeah, I just stood just with my mouth open for a good minute and a half, just watching. 
And nobody minded because I think they all understood that we'd all missed live music too. But then I suddenly was yeah. like, oh my God, I've got your drinks in my hand. Please let me give you my drinks. You it's know, a mad it's, one, isn't it? It was a bizarre, bizarre time. Yeah. So, uh, like, I mean, that that leads us kind of nicely onto this, this next, next section. Obviously, the National Lottery has helped support live venues up and down the country through the the United by Music Tour. How vital is this funding and how do these venues like actually use it? I think it's really, really, really important. And it's not just for the venues, because I think a lot of the acts that uh, the money's being used to put into the venues wouldn't play venues that small. Mm. You know, they, they may not play in those areas. I know there was a big focus with um, United by Music about getting bands into into the secondary cities and the towns that, you know, that they're generally kind of a bit forgotten. Or, or mate, one of my close friends is 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 Russell Lissack of Block Party, and he's sending me videos at the moment of them on tour supporting, um, can't think of the name of the band, they're one of the biggest bands in the world, but they're doing this huge tour of America in these huge stadiums, and they're coming back to, to do a nice small venue for yep. one of these, these shows. Paramore, I couldn't think of Paramore. How can I not <laughs> think of Paramore's name? But yeah. The, the, I saw them on this list and the size of the venue and thought, how cool is that? That, yep. yeah, it's bringing people it's, back it's in. It's really, really exciting. It is. I mean, we've got a band. My my booking agent, Alicia, she's obsessed with this band called Witch Fever. They're yeah. not that much bigger than our venue, but um, she'd been emailing them for a while. And, you know, she was getting, you know, nice emails back saying we'll potentially look at something in the future. And then we've got Witch Fever coming through as part of the United by Music Tour. Yeah. And you know, I sent her the email, and she just screamed, rang me up, and screamed because she's so excited. Yeah. So it, you know, it means a lot to the bands. It means a lot to the fans, and it also means a lot to the venue staff just to have the support of something as big as the National Lottery. Yeah. You know, just to put stuff in, just to know that people out there are like, you know, helping us out and understand what we do is vitally important. Yeah. And again, for people who don't know, kind of how gigging and touring works, it is a case of needing to be able to to offer bands guarantees because they've got yep. expenses and th- there's so many l- layers to it. It's not quite as simple as, oh, we've got a pub. Would you like to come and play? Yeah, It's like, no, they're, 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 there's so many different levels that need to be covered. In putting a tour together even, I was talking about this a friend of mine, B. Dolan, is, is touring the UK for the first time since he had like this huge spine surgery. And he was explaining on a Twitch stream about, you know, how intricate and complicated it is to put together a tour because you have to nominate a date and then ask and then they have to see if it's challenged and then things yep. will be penciled in and then this and that. It's yep. like, it's not, it really, there's su- such a greater l- level of complexity than you would realise as a as a punter. And some of that complexity is a, is a, a financial complexity. It is, here's a minimum g- g- guarantee so that they can come and know that they're going to be able to pay their driver and their, you know, their sound man, things like that. Especially with the cost of fuel and the cost of living crisis and everything else. It's costing bands far more to tour, which means they need far more money from the venue. And then the venue have got the issue that the breweries are putting their prices up, so they're not making as much money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are being crushed by the cost of living crisis. So they're not coming out as much. And it's just... Yeah, having a couple of gigs a year that's funded by the National Lottery is absolutely, it is vital. Because yeah. also I think I think those gigs are getting people out and it will remind them why they come to these spaces. Yeah. It'll make them think, oh my God, I love that. I must come back more. We hear yeah. that a lot with the bigger gigs that we do. It's, I've had the best time. 
I must check out what you're doing. And then that gives me a chance to say, well, actually, you won't have heard of this band, but they're quite similar to this band. And I think you'll really enjoy them. And it, it has like a massive knock-on effect to Future Trade as well. Mm. And, and, and lo- local venues are key for that, for being the tastemakers, for choosing these things. I, I was watching a bit of Glastonbury over the weekend and I saw, saw my timelines blowing up at, at Young Fathers putting on an amazing set. And I saw them supporting Run the Jewels and it was one of those moments of, I've no idea who these people are, but oh my yep. word, I now need to know everything about them. And that's that can happen when there's a good support act, but that can happen in your in your your local venue. You just yep. don't know about it. Yep. Two of our staff, we found out over the last few days, are in bands. And I think it's really important that grassroots music venues are recognised for the way they support artists in terms of giving them flexible jobs. But mm. two of the staff that work for us that are in bands, both of their bands are now supporting the Foo Fighters next year. Amazing. You know, and that's absolutely massive. And that's an opportunity that they may not have had if they didn't have the flexibility of working somewhere like a grassroots music. So, you know, this 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 whole funding into grassroots music venues, it goes so much further than just creating the next big band in terms of artist support. We've got a sound engineer now that lives in America and has toured the world who cut his teeth in La But, you know, it's 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 just a massive development pool for the entire industry and the fact that it's yeah. recognised and supported is vital. Can we talk, again, I'm going a little bit off piece now, but can we talk a little bit about the passion for live music in Wales and for grassroots music and grassroots venues? Every time we'd tour, we'd always make sure we had a few gigs in Wales. We'd always make sure we did an in-store at Spillers. And there just seems to be such a rich history and ex- excitement for bands to come through and to come off the beaten track and come and and and, and play in these areas. How is that kind of atmosphere and, and I think- drive? I don't know. I think Wales has always been the land of song. It is, it's right back, you know, you go back hundreds and hundreds of years, Wales, Welsh people just embrace music and we might all embrace music of different genres, but there is so much passion in Wales. And sometimes I speak to people like bands from England that are playing Wales and much like yourself, they cannot believe the reception they're getting and they cannot believe the passion of the people working in the venues. Wales is an amazing, amazing place. And I think you can really see that. There's a festival up in Wrexham called Focus Wales. Mm-hmm. And it's my favourite weekend of the year every year because it's just everyone that I care about who cares about music descends on Wrexham for the weekend. And we just have this amazing celebration of the Welsh music industry. And I love it. I absolutely love it. It's amazing. And it, like it's festivals. season. Like you mentioned a the festival there. And f- festival season is always one that kind of reminds you of the the value and excitement of live music because it is that just it's it's one of the few things left again i've got a love hate relationship with glastonbury being on tv now i'm kind of old and achy now so i can't really be, be bothered to go there so i kind of like it being on tv but i also kind of like that all these festivals that that aren't because they're the last like bastions of shared experience because like all TV now, we we watch on demand and we watch when we want. Yeah. All music, we watch on demand. Podcasts, it's not like radio where you're all tuned in at once. You watch yeah. in your own time. Live music is one of those last experiences that everyone in that room is experiencing that together at the same time. And that energy that you feel, it's, it's irreplaceable. It's incomparable, right? Yeah, I mean, I have a, a hate-hate relationship with Blastonry being on TV. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Mainly because it makes me jealous that I'm not there. Yeah. Yeah, And also, I think grassroots music venues Glastonbury weekend will see a downturn in people coming out to the gigs, even mm. the ones that aren't at the festival. 
will mm. stay home and watch it on on the, the TV yeah. and they'll they'll throw little Glasto watching parties in their house. And yeah. I think what you said about being on demand really needs to be all dr- drilled home to people. Why don't you do that when there isn't a band playing in your local GMV? Why do you yeah. have to do it on the Saturday of Glastonbury so that yeah. you end up with an incredible band playing to no one and yeah. the grassroots music venues lost money? So in terms of Glastonbury being on TV, I would really, really like to push home the on-demand factor. You don't have to watch yeah. it live. You can watch actual live music and then watch that on Monday. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's a point for me. And I think, see, we go to Green Man Festival every year as well. And that's, yeah. there's no televising of Green Man Festival. It is yeah. what it is. It happens when it happens and you go home and, you know, you try and try and explain to people what an amazing time you've had, but you just can't. And I, I kind of like that. I do like yeah, that. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. I love those, as said, those, it's one of the reasons, like, at, at the end of my touring life, it was just as a lot of live streaming stuff was coming in. And even when we'd play Glastonbury, but we'd play the left field tent or the King's Head and things like this. And we'd always have people on social media saying, oh, where can I watch this? And it'd be like, in in the tent. Yeah. Like, you can watch it in the tent. Like, yeah. that, that's it. Or in the venue. Like, people ask, are you going to st- stream this gig? Because it's it's your last London gig. It's like, no, nah, I'm excited to be in that room with those people and experience yeah. that moment. And then uh, and then it's gone and it's a memory. And it's not this 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 yeah. documented thing. It was just, yeah, a thing, thing that happened. And, and you've got, a live experience, right? You used to be in a band. Do you do you miss those days at all? Or no, I don't either. <laughs> I don't miss it. So I loved all of it, but I didn't like it. I loved writing. I loved rehearsing. I even loved four hours in a van with my friends. Yeah, but I used to get such bad nerves that I'd start really? throwing up the day before. Wow! And the second I stepped out on the stage, they'd be gone, and I'd be fine. But yeah. after about a year, a year and a half. I just got fed up of being sick all the time. The build and up, then yeah. um and then I got pregnant with my daughter. And once she was about nine or ten months old, I started considering going back to it. And I realized that I really didn't want to. Yeah. I wanted to, I think that's why I ended up doing this because I kind of wanted to still be involved in the live music industry, but I knew I was more of a facilitator than a performer. Yeah. So you wanted to be involved in the live music industry, yeah. but you didn't want to have to throw up. Yeah, for, for 24 hours before every gig. So um Sam, how did you become involved with the Music v- Venue Trust and what do they do? Because the, like one of the reasons I was excited to have this conversation is obviously I've got so much experience as a punter in live venues and as a touring person in live venues, but I've no experience of all the help that comes from the National Lottery and from these different things that kind of hold everything together as such. So yeah, can you, you tell me a little bit about that? So we got some noise complaints in the old venue where we used to operate Mm-hmm. And it was one woman and it was that typical situation where one person can move into an area and shut down something that's been happening without any issues for years. And we had to raise £17,000 to um, soundproof the roof. It was right in the early days of crowdfunding. And um, I had an amazing team at the time, including somebody called Alice. And she was wonderful. And she helped me put together this incredible crowdfunder. And um, we actually auctioned off the right to have a brass plaque on every urinal with yeah. your name on right. and things like that. And we had some Amazing. really, really fun rewards. Yeah. So I ended up <laughs> on BBC Radio Wales talking about the crowdfunder and all the weird things we were auctioning off. And Mark from Music Venue Trust was also on the same program and they'd only been going for about eight or nine months, I think. Right. So they interviewed us both around, you know, the sound issues facing music venues and how, you know, there's no protection for an existing venue. There is only protection for residents and the, the way the world works like that is absolutely stupid. And 
instantly bonded with Mark over having this same passion for live music and in particular grassroots music venues. So I um, I hung up the phone and it was a landline back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah. I joined the Music Venue Trust straight away. And this podcast is probably not long enough for me to tell you how much they've done and what an incredible organization they are. I think without Music Venue Trust, I don't know if we'd have any grassroots music venues left. Yeah. Because for me, it's not just the fundraising because, you know, if you have to, you can scrape together and get get by. But for me, it's the spirit of community that they've built because I know I used to pre-Music Venue Trust sit and lie awake and wonder, can I pay the staff next week? Can I pay this next week? If I put this off for a week, can I pay that? And I thought it was just me because obviously social media, you all present your most successful side. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever honest on social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd look at incredible venues, you know, such as the joiners in Southampton and think, what am I doing wrong that they're doing so well? And then my very first venues day, Mandy from the joiners sat on the stage and talked about all of the same worries and the same concerns that I had. And it made me realize that it's not the way that I was running a grassroots music venue that was at fault. It was actually the way that the system and the music industry and the government treated grassroots music venues mm. and that, that as a sector, we weren't getting the recognition we deserved. And I think that gave everyone in that room and every year at Venues Day, it gives us the energy to fight another year yeah. because you get to sit in a room. You know, there's all sorts of peer-to-peer to support within um, Music Venue Trust. They have gurus to help with any issue you can have. And, you know, that honestly can't say enough for them. I worked for them as pandemic coordinator for two years and even working every single day during the most stressful situation anyone could ever really go through within this industry, I still love them. So that yeah. says a lot that we, you know, at no point did we fall out and no point did I fall out of love with the organization. I still think they're an incredible organization. I, I love it. And two things to say off the back of that number one what a venue joiners is had some amazing sweaty gigs in there over the years we'd regularly play Southampton and Portsmouth even though they're right next to each other but just because we we didn't want to not play joiners but we'd have some Portsmouth offers in but number two you touched upon the government there and I'm not sure how Mm -hmm. ranty we can get here but I definitely think that we're in times that any kind of any variation of unionization is absolutely essential to protect and 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 fight for our rights and our services. So things like the Music Venue Trust sound perfect for that kind of thing, to to get everyone talking, to get everyone in the same room and go, look, here's what we can do together. Here's how we can fight. I think also one of the things that uh, Music Venue Trust did was they brought together, I mean, when you have a government such as we have without getting too ranty, everything Mm. has to be put into financial terms. They don't understand anything except a monetary value. And I think every venue in Britain went, well, every grassroots music venue in Britain went from being a small venue to part of a billion pound industry, which then gives us a seat at the table. So if I alone was to go to the government and say, hello, I've got X amount turnover, I think you should help me, they're going to laugh at me. But when Mark, representing 900 members of the Music Venues Alliance, says, hello, I represent these and we've got this huge turnover, you know, they have to listen. So I think just creating that, putting us all into one one little bracket that then can sit there and go, oi, you can't ignore us. That was, that's really important. I think we saw that in the pandemic as well. Like when actors would start to complain about how tough it is, it was easy to ignore. But when people who represent the entertainment industry, who represent the the, the live music industry or the theatre industry could bring up the absolute income that, like, the theatre industry alone brings to the UK. 
it becomes undeniable that these things need support. And then they add all the live music revenue. It's like, right, these aren't things that you should just retrain and you might have to get another job or any of that nonsense. It's like, no, these aren't follies or flights of fancy. These are also key parts to our economy as a country. You know, we're kind of known for music globally. So, yeah. I also think... One of the things I saw going around, you know, you see these like really profound thoughts that someone's put on a on the background of a sky or something that float yeah. around on Twitter, these memes, these profound the memes. Beach. One of the most profound ones that I noticed that really made sense to me, even though I already knew it, was the second the pandemic hit, everybody turned to the arts. We yeah. all started listening to more music, watching yeah. more films, mm-hmm. you know, reading more books. And yet that was the one sector that wasn't even recognized. Yeah. And we yeah. were the sector that our back catalogue was doing more to get people through the pandemic than anyone else. Yeah, 100%. You know, I think that, that was, um, that was right. that made me really think, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll start to, to wrap things up soon, but we touched upon United by Music earlier on, and I don't think we really went into what it is. So can you explain what United by Music is and what's, yeah, what's going so, on um, Yeah, United by Music is a campaign from the National Lottery and Music Venue Trust. It puts bands into grassroots music venues across the UK and it covers all costs. So there is no cost to the venue because That's that amazing. is covered by the United by Music scheme. There's no cost to the bands. Their touring costs are covered. And it just means that there are, I think there's 150 shows in 130 venues that are happening with no financial risk to artist or venue. It's so, amazing. you know, that it's a, it's a huge number of shows and I'm pretty sure somebody at Music Venue Trust could give me the numbers, but I don't have them to hand. I'd just love to know exactly across the entire tour how many tickets have been sold yeah. because how many people are going to have an experience that they wouldn't have had without yeah. the United by Music tour. Yeah, it's amazing and it's so ex- exciting. Again, having toured for years and years, n- n- knowing how stressful it can be, how nerve-wracking it can be, because you are really at the the mercy of so many things out of your control, whether it be ticket sales or or issues yeah. going on in areas and things things like that. So to have, just for the mental health of the bands, it excites me yeah. to know that this is all covered. Yeah. That they, mental they're health of the venues. To do what they love. Yeah. Rather than be, as as you were saying, be throwing up for three days and then g- getting to enjoy that one hour on stage, the, the, they get to enjoy all of it. And yeah, the venues and, and the crowds as well. So I guess, in your opinion, why is it important to support l- local venues? Again, you've you've specified staying at like that 100, 150 cap type venue. Why is it important that these venues are supported? I mean, the example I always like to give is Adele. Yeah. Uh, Adele has brought so much joy to so many people with her music. She's brought so much money into the UK economy. Adele played a gig in Buffalo in Cardiff to about 40 people, I think, were there. Buffalo is now gone and it went because it couldn't afford to stay open. Yeah. So if you remove the Buffaloes from the circuit, you're going to start removing, you know, you're going to start removing the bigger artists. You know, most of the bigger bands you look at and that people love and enjoy wouldn't exist. I mean, look at Coldplay. I mean... Mm. I'm not going to lie, these aren't artists that I listen to. I listen to grassroots music bands. I've never really, and it sounds silly, but to a certain extent, when a band moves up a level, I still love them, but I, I don't, I lose the passion for them. That's just yeah. part of who I am. Yeah. But I think Coldplay have bought, you know, that people, so many people love their music. So many people went to see them live in Cardiff, you know, and 
Coldplay played a number of grassroots music venues on their way up to where they are now. And if you remove those venues, you know, those venues, they are at risk. They are currently at risk. It's it's not overdramatic. You know, I'm not exaggerating when I say that the grassroots music venue circuit is at risk. Mm. And once it's gone, I genuinely believe that the entire music industry in Britain, which, as you so rightly said, we're globally known for, we will no longer have that. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of music coming out of studios and bedrooms, you know, with the way that music has changed. But those artists still need to play live and they still need to learn to have somewhere, you know, to play live to an audience. And if you take a producer out of the bedroom straight into an arena, that's that's not possible. You know, that they're, no. they're gonna fall apart. They need yeah. to play the yeah, smaller yeah, venues. Yeah. There needs to be the small touring circuit. Yeah. And uh, again, I kind of went glassy-eyed then because Adele's a perfect example I played Adele played on a, a gig I was headlining I'm, I'm not going to say supported or open for because it was one of those kind of the the lineup is placed for what s- suits the flow of the evening kind of thing. it was me Adele and Jack Pagnate and Adele opened that and it was at the, m- the most 100 people it was it was the t- social yep. in uh in in London it was at the most 100 people in there and they, as you say, these are the gigs that make these people able to go on to all these yep. insane things and and this greatness. And I've also seen people who've blown up on social media who have gone straight to playing big gigs, and it's been a mess. Like, it's been a real struggle because they've not had yep. that experience of of, of working smaller yep. rooms. And and you know, yeah, it's hard for it to, to translate. I'm just thinking you have to be a really strong artist to come back. Yeah. from messing up your first live gig as well. Yeah, yeah. How many, truly. you know, how many of those artists that went out to a 5,000 capacity crowd and messed it up ever came back? Yeah. You know, you need yeah. you need to practice, you need to learn, you need to play to small crowds. I completely agree. And and, and one of the things on this with the um the uh, the United Obama Music Tour thing, so by playing the National Lottery, not only are you helping to support grassroots music, but you can bring a plus one for free to the gigs at these yep. amazing venues all over the uh, yep. summer. I love that there's like loads of extra initiatives in there. It's not just, oh, we're giving you some money. It's like, no, we want yeah. to bring people out as well. Like we don't yeah, want the gigs to just be covered. We want to make sure they're full and we want yep. people in there and we want to have more incentive to get out there. Yep. So yeah, it's great. So again, we touched upon it earlier, but have you have you got any bands that you're particularly excited about? I looked and saw Block Party and Metronomy and Sleeper, but I'm... I'm 41 and out of touch with music now. So they're all the bands that have been around ages but are playing these smaller venues. Who's who's on the lineup that you're particularly excited so for? We've got um, Opus Kink coming through yes. and also Witch Fever, both of which are going to be absolutely incredible. I'm really excited. I, I think they're both bands that we kind of wanted but weren't sure we were ever going to get to have play here. Yeah. So that's, yeah, yeah, really excited. And on the on the Revive Live tour last year, which was also National Lottery supported, we had Baby Dave, which is Isaac from Slaves. Yeah. And that was an amazing gig as well, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, there's quite a few coming through that we're really excited for. I mean, I we're it. really lucky. We've got two shows. Yeah. We I got mean, really lucky. T- to wrap things up, though, I'm going to get get really into the kind of classic around the around the table in the pub conversation of, if you could have anyone come through and play your venue... Who comes to mind? Who would you you love to have in your in your small venue, as as big or small a band as you want? Who would be your dream to get in that room? 
I don't know. It's so tough. I don't know. It? I mean, we did, um, it was our 30th birthday last year. So we approached a lot of people mm. and we did manage to get Tim Burgess to come and do a solo oh, wow. set. And that was very, very much, you know, one of, one of the things that I'd never thought would happen and I was really excited for. Yeah. And we had um, Griff Reese from the Super Furries come through as well, which was amazing. And he sang Happy Birthday to the pub in Welsh. Amazing. I geeked with Tim in an Oxfam once. Did Again, you? it was another ch- charity thing that they just set up some speakers and it was us and Tim and a couple of others just in the corner of an Oxfam, which again, I, don't, I don't think it was even particularly announced much. It was just, here we are, let's just, just do a little gig. But yeah, I, I appreciate you taking the time. And before we go, is there any kind of a last message you'd like to leave or give to people? Because again, obviously not everyone listening is going to be in Newport or visiting Newport, but they're all going to have local venues somewhere yeah. near them that they might not even know about. But yeah, is there any kind of last message? Yeah, there's a gig guide called um, Hereby, mm-hmm. but it's here as in um, H-E-A-R-B-Y. That is actually um, in partnership with Music Venue Trust and you will find your local grassroots music venue on that gig guide. So yeah, just find that, put your location in, it will find you gigs in a grassroots music venue near you. And I think it's really important for everyone to get out and support. Because I mean, everybody wants to have that story of, you know, I saw Adele in Buffalo. I saw Coldplay in Blackwood Miners Institute. And I, you know, I saw Ed Sheeran in the boiler room, but you're never going to have that story unless you actually get out and attend those venues. Yeah. And being an active audience member rather than a passive, and I don't necessarily mean in the room, but I always remember like when we'd go and play places like Romania, like we wouldn't have big ticket sales in Romania or, or, or album sales in Romania, but we'd have a round of venue because people have gone, oh, who's in town tonight? And they would have, l- have looked up who's in and they would have gone, oh, I like them. Yep. And we'd have people s- singing along and we know that they only found out about us a week ago when the poster went up. Yep. And, but they've gone, oh, let's yep. have a look. So you can get that guide. You, you can get here by and go and look who's in. And you can either just go, oh, we'll pop along to that. Or if you've got time, you go, oh, let's look them up on Spotify yeah. or let's Google them. Let's, yep. let's see if they've got a SoundCloud and all of these things and kind of, yeah, yep. be actively think- engaged in it. I think it's really important to be an advocate for bands and and grassroots music venues as well. If you see something coming up and you think it's awesome, just share it. It takes you 30 seconds to type, this is going to be awesome and share it on your socials because that's really helpful. That really helps. I know a lot of people that have been like, oh, I saw this because so-and-so shared it. You know, that's really, really, be an advocate for grassroots music venues as well. Help us get people in. Again, old school, just ring around your mates as well. Yeah. If there's someone yeah. you've not caught up with in a while, ring your mates, I'm going to this gig on on, on Friday. Yep. They're really good. Yeah, exactly. Fancy a drink, you know. Exactly. I love it. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It's been an absolute a pl- a pleasure and I'm excited to see how all of these gigs go. It seems like, yeah, a really amazing project. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There you have it. I told you you'd love Sam's story. Thank you for listening and thank you to the National Lottery for making this episode happen. Just remember, every time you play the National Lottery on app or in store, you get more from your ticket, whether that's supporting good causes all over the UK or accessing brilliant offers like the United by Music Tour, where you can bring a plus one for free to one of the many gigs all over the country from now until September. And this was exciting because 
that's the bit I knew about. So it was great to talk to Sam and hear about all the rest of the support that comes into to venues and bands on this thing. So yeah, just visit unitedbymusic.live to find out more. It's amazing what the National Lottery does for people. I'll be back next week as ever. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.